We got a special guest speaker all the way from Calvary Slow, the one and only Pastor James. Let's put our hands together. Thanks, buddy. I'll take the mic. Thanks. Good thing there's not another one. That's good for all of you. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to be uh, sharing with you this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, going around different spots in Mark. So if you need a Bible, then please raise your hand, and one of our ushers will get you one. And I know in this day and age, you don't always bring a Bible. You might have it on your phone, and, and that's great and all. But uh, I do realize that I am a sucker for being distracted, and if you're anything like me, um, having a phone be your sole uh, source of Bible reading, uh, anything and a host of things can come and, and engage with me that isn't the Word of God. So my wife keeps me accountable for that. And uh, I try and keep my Bible on hand. Also, I just, uh, all my notes are in my Bible, and it's hard to write notes on my phone. So just a little encouragement, if you aren't in the habit of, of having your Bible with you when you come, uh, especially when you come to church, then uh, I would encourage you to do it. We do put the scriptures most of the time on the screen. So if you're visiting with us or new, uh, that, they'll be available to you. But there's just something about having the pages of God's book that's really good, and we should uh, not get away from it. I just got a new Bible, so all my old notes are in my other Bible which is really good when you're going to teach on a Sunday. It's like, oh, man, I forgot the right Bibles for my notes and everything. Uh, but all that being said, hopefully it'll be, it'll be worth your while to be here this morning. Um, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors on, on staff here. I have been involved with the church since its, uh, since its start. I uh, went to a little bit, little snippet of history. I actually was invited to go uh, with my uh, engaged. We were engaged, my wife and I. Uh, eventually got married. And Brian and Sherry, Pastor Brian, and Sherry were at our wedding, and we had just known them less than, a, what, a year or so? Probably there. So uh, I didn't even know what a church plant was 25 years ago plus. Um, we just happened to go to a Bible study, and it turned into a church plant. And I was like, whoa, we can do that? Is that legal? Can we, like, <laughs> we actually do a church? Like, aren't there other ones in town? It was, I was really young and ignorant, but, uh, but it turned out to be a great thing. Never left, and uh, here we are today. So been around a little bit. Uh, enough to be involved in leadership and talk about uh, one of these messages. There's three that we're going through. Pastor Brian started last week with our vision series. What is, this, what is the vision of Calvary Slow, this particular church, and this community, and this area of the state, and so on and so forth? So we're the second week of that series, a vision series. We like to do it yearly about this time because our, our calendars go from September to August, right? If you live in this community especially, you know that time goes according to that calendar, not January to December as much uh, for obvious reasons. We have a little bit of uh, educational environment here called Cal Poly, and uh, they dictate the calendar for all of us. So there you go. But uh, that's why we do it this time of year. This is the second uh, in a series, like I said. And we're going to put up a little slide of kind of the summary of what we're going through just to catch you up if you missed last week's uh, what we're talking about and how we see ourselves as a church. And we'll be, like I said, we'll be using the Gospel of Mark as our source text for this morning and different passages in it. So um, just the summary to start out with is uh, how we see ourselves. We're a church community, and you can read that with me. Church community on the Central Coast being remade into disciples or followers of Jesus, known by our love for God, our love for others, and devotion to gospel renewal in our workplaces, neighborhoods, and cultures. So there's a progression there, right? We have love for God first and foremost. Uh, if, if the love of God is not existent, these others don't really make a lot of sense in the context of the gospel. But we start with a lot of love for God, uh, and then it bleeds into love for others. 
in a, a God-inspired way, and then ultimately a, devo- a devotion or really asking the question, God, how do you want to use me in this culture to uh, see a sense of your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth and uh, in our different areas of influence. So uh, we do this by orienting our lives around the values of being with Jesus or the presence. That's what Pastor Brian talked about last week. Uh, becoming like Jesus or transformation. And that will be covered next week. And then this week I'm doing what Jesus, I'm doing, I'm doing what Jesus did this morning as an example. <laughs> doing what Jesus did being a mission out in our, in our spheres of influence. And so we, we're changing the order, um, which is okay. So today we're going to be talking, like I said, about doing what Jesus did instead of transformation. Intuitively, uh, you would think that we're going to do transformation because you come to Jesus, then you get transformed by Jesus, and then you get sent by Jesus, right? It seems like that would be the case. Well, in this case, our values, our vision is interchangeable. And, and I, I started realizing it. It's the same in the scriptures and the gospel of Mark. Because, you guys remember, when Jesus called his disciples to him, let's look at that first scripture, actually. So if you're there already, Mark chapter 3, because we're changing the order today. Uh, Chapter 3, starting in verse 13, the gospel of Mark says this, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So Mark is Mark's a gospel writer that gets to the point. He tells you the facts. He gets to business. He just doesn't mince words and what happens. And here he talks about Jesus' first disciples coming to him. And it says he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So you have this, this presence. They, he wanted them in his presence. Uh, that's their first calling, and it's and right away you see him, or at least right away by Mark, he's a very he uses words like immediately a lot, like immediately they did this and immediately they did that, and it's just you're just going this fast-paced account, as opposed to someone like John who has lots of commentary involved with the passages, and uh, so Mark's saying here he called them and then he sent them, and so right away it's like the first thing the disciples do, what do they do after they meet Jesus? Just ask as a general rhetorical question, what do they what do they do? What's the first thing they do? Or who's the first person they tell that they, they've been with Jesus? Brothers, right? Found the brothers. Hey, you got to come see this guy named Jesus that we just met. So it was pretty quick. They went from being called or being with Jesus to actually mission. See, so it's not like you have to do one to the next to the next. It's all in there together where you get called, you be with Jesus, you get transformed in his presence. Uh, you could have right away gospel change in your areas of influence, but you're also being transformed within that time. So it's this kind of arrow into arrow into arrow kind of thing. They're all working into each other, and that's what we're going to look at in different passages today. That's why I can do something out of order, like talk about being on mission before we talked about transformation. And who here, by a show of hands, is being transformed because they're not done yet? All right, I'm not the only one. It's good to know. I have faults. I have things that I'm working out with the Lord. He's very patient. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, And I'm sure you guys do too. So it's not that he perfects us and then we get a mission. It's he calls us. We come to him. He allows us to be transformed while he's using us on mission. And so we're looking at all three simultaneously. And I'll give you that illustration in Mark this morning. So starting off with the presence, we just read it. What's his... First calling to his disciples, what's, 
Jesus' first calling, and actually I would say most important for all the other things to follow, what's the first calling of, of us people if we see ourselves in the lives of the disciples? It says that he, they came to him after he called them, that they might be with him. So there's our first calling. There's your calling. If you want to know what your calling in life is, I would say it's pretty clear from Mark chapter 3. Your first calling is to be with your Savior. Just be with him. Not do, but be with him. Now for us, we're not just going to go hang out with Jesus while he feeds the 5,000, while he heals people with diseases or casts out demons necessarily. But how do we be with Jesus now? This day and age, we're spending time getting away with him uh, to a place where we can hear from him through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and we can ask key questions of him like, what do you want to do in my life right now where I'm at? Not necessarily concerned with 20 years down the line, although that could be a consideration, of course. But right now, God, what are you doing in my life? What kind of things do you want to transform in me so that I'm better uh, prepared, if you will, or, or ready to go when you do give me an opportunity to share about how awesome you are? But the first and primary thing is that we are to be in his presence. We're to ask God, God, will you meet me in these places of, of, of quiet where I can hear from you? And you guys... We're bombarded in our family right now. We're keeping track uh, uh, afresh of how much time we're spending on this. And uh, I wish I could say I didn't spend much time on this. But apparently, this is lying because it's saying I'm hours. And it's obviously lying <laughs> because there can't be hours. You know, Each family member in our house right now, we're keeping track. And it's good. It's good accountability for all of us because we all realize we're just, we get busy when we're not busy. You all with me? Uh, Jesus' time is not necessarily the priority all the time, so we fill it with something. So, so just be renewed in that, if nothing else today. Just be reminded that Jesus is calling you first and foremost to be with him, to spend time with him. If we miss that, we miss everything else. When I was first a Christian, I remember one of my friends at Cal Poly was saying, I got saved at Cal Poly. One of my first memories of talking about what a quiet time is, one of, the, one of the things when I found out, what is a quiet time? I heard that term, I didn't know what it meant. Basically, he explained to me, it's this, you get a chance to go away, pray with your Bible, and hear from God, and, and, and pray to him, talk to him. You know, that's pretty simple. And then like, and you know what? Jesus died so you could have your quiet time. And it's always stuck with me. It's not a small thing. For him to be able to call us to himself, cost him his life. Went to the cross to die in our stead so that we could be reunited with the Father who all the time loved and, and desired us to be with him, but there was a blockage called sin, and we all have it. We're all cursed by it. We all have repercussions of it. But Jesus died so that we would not have barriers to the Father, that we could be with him, with him, not just a boss ordering his employees around or a master saying, slave, do this or that. It's actually he wants to be with us as a father is with their children, close, intimate, exchange of relationship. That's how important being in his presence is. So it doesn't surprise me that Mark would say, hey, this is the first thing that happened. He called those he desired to be with him. So that's, we're talking about presence. So turn to um, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We'll continue on this theme of presence. Mark 6, 30. 
the apostles return to Jesus. He sends them out to preach. They go out. They have all these miraculous things happen. And then later in Mark, he, he records these things. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So here you get another glimpse of Jesus' heart. He sees how hard they're working. He sees their duties, what they've been called to as a practical mission. And he sees it's been busy season. It's harvest season for the, uh, for the wine uh, industry right now, right? And I'm, I'm actually performing a wedding next weekend for a couple. And he's, in, he's a harvester overseeing one of the vineyards. And he's putting in hours and hours a day. Like it's very difficult to, to have time to meet with this couple because of it. It's just harvest time. There's just a rut. They're just all hands on deck, try of intensive type of time. And, and, and here I'm thinking about that as the, as the apostles are with Jesus and they're, they're uh, seeing demons cast out and they're feeding people uh, spiritual food and, and along with Jesus, alongside him, I should say. And, and he's like, you know, it's time to come away to a desolate place and rest a while. Isn't that wonderful that we don't have a taskmaster that drives us until we're physically dead? He's like, hey, it's time to go rest, and let's go by ourselves. Let's get away from the crowds, and let's go, and let's be together. Again, the heart of the Father is in full display in this gospel. It's not what we do, it's who we're with. It's who we spend time with. And yet, the most important thing in my life, I let slip away so easily. And, and, it's, and it's capturing those moments with Jesus, right? It's like, uh, you know, when you walk the dog, taking the time to say thank you. It's when you're having dinner and you, and you bow your heads before dinner instead of like going really quickly through a prayer, you're, actually your heart's in it and you're like, Lord, thank you for every blessing. Those moments you're capturing where you're like, I just want to be with Jesus and like have all the, 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 the noise of the day and those moments go by. And if you have the luxury of just getting up early or spending part of your lunch hour or actually before you go to sleep in the word and prayer where it's a little bit more extended out, then, then, then praise God for that because what you're doing is you're safeguarding the first calling of your life and the most important part of it. Let's go to transformation, see how this works together. Move ahead to Mark chapter 10. So we talked about presence, being with Jesus, quickly going to transformation of being transformed by him. And here's an example where I see um, myself big time in the form of, of Two disciples in particular, James and John, sons of Zebedee. And th that means sons of thunder for good reason, because check this out. This is what they, this interesting conversation that Mark records for us to glean from. And uh, it's an example, really, of how we humans are, are definitely in need of transformation, even when we're with Jesus and walking with him as they were. It says in James and John, in verse 35 of Mark 10, and James of John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or sons of thunder, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That is a terrific question. Okay. I'm not Jesus. I don't pretend to be him at any time, but I can only imagine what must have gone through his mind when they asked him that. Like, okay, you know when your young kids come to you and say, Mom, Dad, and you know it's coming, the request? Like, I want that whole pizza that you just made, you know, they brought home, and like, well, you have the rest of the family members to eat it too. You know, you're just like, what's coming? What's the request? I'm sure it's going to be, you know, somewhat on the humorous side. Well, in this case, they're serious. They say, and they said to him, what do you want? Or he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. 
Now, what are they asking for? We just went through the book of Daniel with Pastor Brian this, uh, this summer. And uh, many scholars believe that this is a direct reference to the seventh chapter of Daniel, where we get a scene of the Son of Man, where the Son of Man in a vision comes, and he's worshipped by all nations. In his glory, comes with the clouds, comes down, and is in his glory, and is seated there to be worshipped by all mankind. And it would seem as if the disciples knew exactly what they were saying, at least according to what uh, traditions they've been raised in, which is, hey, when you get to where you're going, we want to be there right on either side of you. I mean, that is bold. Can, can it get bolder? It's like, hey, Jesus, I want your spot. Eh, I can't do that. Let's, how, how about either side? <laughs> I don't know what their, what, what their purpose was. In another account, their mom's involved asking the same question. Hey, my boy's over here. Can you get a good place for them when you come in your glory? Can you imagine? I mean, from my perspective, it's like, yeah, I'd probably say something as dumb as that. If I were in their you know, shoes, sandals, if you will, and then years later, you'd have this guy talking about me on the pulpit in Calvary Slope. <laughs> but at any rate, that's what happened. That's what they asked. That's their request. And then Jesus, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Boy, there's truth, isn't it? How many times do I ask something, and I don't even know what I'm asking? He's like, if you only knew the full story of who I am and your life and how all this fits together, you don't even know what you're asking. And it's like, Lord, I ask so much amiss. Because why? Because my selfishness is involved and my uh, desire for comfort to be served, better served, um, aspects of, gosh, my limited view on reality. You ever been wrong in your view of reality in a situation with other people? You got it totally wrong and you ended up had to you know, eat crow? Like, I had the way off. I didn't know all the facts or this, that, and the other. Well, these guys are obviously talking and asking out of ignorance. And Jesus doesn't slam them. He doesn't tell them to get lost. He doesn't through with them. He's very patient, it would seem, because you, he just says it simply. You don't know what you're asking. I don't know what I'm asking. Do you know what you're asking all the time? I don't know what I'm asking. I'm probably offending him all the time. But yet he's patient. And he's patient with his children for a reason, because he loves them, wants them to be with him, so he can correct them when needed, Right? It's transformation that happens when you're with Jesus and you're talking with him, you're spending time with him, and he's able to reorient your life and your heart from the inside out. He says, he asked him a few questions, and I don't know where they were getting this, but he says, are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Again, are they able? It's amazing. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, or whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's going back to Daniel, even the Son of Man, the one who's going to be revered for all eternity on the throne with all nations around him, being lauded as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus correcting that past, that inaccuracy, that error of the disciples from their heart out, asking this thing. And he's saying, do you, do you, do you know what you're asking? You don't. In fact, you're going to live a life that's going to, you are going to drink suffering. But you still know what you're asking. And here's the deal, guys. You're not going to get great in the kingdom and get the seats of honor unless you're like Jesus, who what? Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Guys, that's our, that's our mantra. That should be our, our, our epitaph over our lives is we're seeking to be like Christ. And Christ is the one who set the example that even the Son of Man 
the one who rightfully sits on the throne, who rightfully receives all the worship of future, past, and present. Every soul that's lived, every angel that's in his service, all coming around the throne, he's like, even the Son of Man is not going to be the one to be served at this stage, give his life, ultimately the cross. Isn't that insane? It's a whole complete different way of them thinking, and that transformation being with Jesus, like, hey, this is how it works in the kingdom. I need to prepare you so that when I send you on mission, you're actually given the right message, and you're actually serving out of the right motivation. Is because you're looking at me. For us, church, now looking back at these same scriptures, we're able to say clearly that was the greatest sacrifice of all, that the Son of Man would actually die in my stead. And if I want the right motivation to be on mission with the right heart posture, it's got to be one where I'm ready to say yes to service instead of being served. Guys, that comes into play in our families. It comes into play with our relationships and with friends. It comes into our relationships with our coworkers. It comes into our relationship with our, with our roommates, our fellow students. Regardless of what, of what our age is, it's always a, cho- a choice of, am I going to serve? Am I going to take that posture of a slave? This, this term, servant, it's, it's, it's really meant to be the strong emphasis of slavery. Do you know most people in the ancient world, this time, first century, were slaves? A majority of the people. Why? For a variety of reasons. We, we hear slave in this culture, and we think something totally different, which is, uh, in our history, a sad part of it, obviously. Devastating part. But it's not the same here. It's commonplace for people that were in debt or that they, they couldn't pay a debt. They were slaves. Or conquered people in war. They would be taken in as slaves. They were, they were able to say, you are owned and you're controlled by somebody else in authority. And so when Jesus is talking about being slave of all, even the Son of Man, they knew exactly what he was talking about. You don't have control over your life. You are subject to the master. And so if we're going to have the posture that's actually similar to that, we're saying, Jesus, will you change my heart motives so they're consistent with you? And when I'm off, will you correct it so that I'm prepped to serve those around me? And while I'm on mission, whatever my roles of influence are, I'm going to lead with that. So employers, you lead with that, you're going to wow your employees. You with me? Uh, leaders of churches, like myself, finger pointed at me, you're going to lead by example, you're going to serve, not expect to be served. You see how it works? In every area. You break it down, it, it applies in every instance. What's my cue? Jesus is my cue. How do I live? Live like him. And then finally he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve on that last slide, give his life as a ransom for many. And for some of, like Jesus' as an example, he would go all the way uh, to the cross. So what does it mean for us to be on mission? Well, it's, it's really to use uh, what we have strategically, intentionally. And where we are, we use those platforms, those places of influence to glorify him with kingdom impact. That means you're not too young to have impact when you devote your life to Jesus. That means you're not too old to be done. As long as you have breath, you have impact in your areas of influence. You know you can even die impacting people, those around you, and how you do, how you go through that, what kind of faith you exhibit in those times. It doesn't mean it's, not, it's, it's easy or something. It just means that you have a different perspective. I'm going to be with Jesus. And even in dying, you can be that influence in people around you. So, he says in verse, or chapter, did you guys already turn to chapter, let's turn to chapter 6 again, verse 33. 
this is bringing it all together as far as mission is concerned. And I, and I, and I want to connect these dots for us this morning. And then it's really cool. At the end, I'm going to have a sister in Christ come up, Emily, and she's going to be talking about how this has been real in her life in the recent past. But that's at the end. I'm going to save the best for last. Mark chapter 6, verse 33, talking about mission. So we went through presence, transformation, look at mission. Now many saw them going and recognized them, that is the group of Jesus, and they ran there on foot from all the town and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside excuse me, and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So they can. Okay, so here's a scenario. In Galilee, we're going there in February. Praise the Lord. Can't wait. Uh, I was just there last uh, holiday season myself, and uh, being on these shores of Galilee, it's an amazing picture because you just see this happening. The slopes kind of gradually go up towards the hill off the lake, and you see this area where you can just picture in Capernaum, for example, Jesus all, uh, being the main show in town, if you will, and everybody's, all the throngs of people coming and, and uh, really pressing in on every side, and the disciples being right there with him, and just totally pictured, beautiful uh, image in my head, and then, and then, um, and then he's like, "Well, let's get in a boat and let's go a little bit offshore because uh, that'll be the only solution to really minister to teaching without having all these other things going on, like people pressing in." And the disciples realize there's so many people here; it's getting late. It's time to send them home, Jesus, so they can get something to eat. Right? So he answers them. Continue on. You give them something to eat. Now I don't know his tone, but I wish I could hear it. You give them something to eat. So now you have a, a scenario where I know many of us are familiar with this passage, but it just, it, it leaves me dumbfounded every time I read it. You give them something to eat. And they're looking, they're, can you picture them? They're looking at each other like, what did he say? Do you not see this crowd of people? And it's late. And they have a long journey ahead of them. They're going to get food. And he's like, you give them something to eat. Now, why did he say that? Because I have some hunches, but let's read on. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii? So now they're going to reason out with Jesus why they don't have what it, what it takes, right, to do the mission that he's called them to. Shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five, two fish. So how many people is that going to feed, you guys? Big loaves, big fish, I don't know, family, two so they tell him, he says, what do you have? Now, to me, that's part of mission. As you guys, uh, as, you, as you're in different areas, and you're walking with Jesus, you're being transformed by him, at some point, Jesus is going to say, you give him something to eat. And you're going to probably look in your reservoir, your, what you have. Um, maybe you don't have a lot of money, maybe you don't have a lot of time, maybe you don't have a lot of energy, maybe you're sick, you know, whatever. God's going to call you to something, and he's going to say, you give him something to eat, and you're going to look at your resources and find it wanting. And for, for very good reason, he's going to point that out. Because he knows how much you have, right? Jesus knew how many fish and bread they have, how many loaves. That's the beauty about Christ, is he's actually demanding his disciples continually walk in faith. And what? Go back to him and say, God, I only have this much, but you can multiply it for everyone here. So it's not what you have. It's who you belong to. It's who you're with, right? Going back to our time with Jesus, why it's so important is because you're reminded 
in the scriptures, of reading those scriptures and reminding your heart afresh, God's big and he's capable of doing the miraculous. Still today, still happens. God meets people's needs. And he does it so that he gets the glory ultimately, right? So there, they said, this is all we got. And he's all, that'll work. So then he starts pumping out the food and he feeds everyone. So I think miracle happens with the common becoming uncommon in our lives. All to show forth his glory. It's all for his glory, ultimately. So what is it in your life that he wants to use and transform into meeting needs for the glory of him? What kind of dreams do you have? What kind of things do you want to see happen in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family? Who are you praying for? How much faith do you have? Lord, I don't have any more things to say to this person to have them consider walking with you, being a disciple of themselves. What's left but for you to move beyond my ability to convince? You see, it's all, it all goes back to him. If we're going to be on mission as a church, each one of us going into the spheres of influence and serving others around us with the love of God that's first down in our hearts and outwards towards them, we've got to ask the question, Lord, how do you want to meet their needs? Because it's not going to be my provision that, that brings me change or good or glorifying the new things that's going to happen. It's going to be you working through. It's not by might nor by strength, right? It's by spirit, says the Lord. It's always been that way. It always will be. Praise God for that. So I have a few things, considerations, if you will, on, uh, on mission. So if we look at that, starting out, starting out with a basic question, is he your Lord today? Does he have the ability to say, you are my slave in the best possible way? I'm your master. Does he have the ability to say that because your heart is his, your life is his? That's the first question. Because if, if he is able to say that, then you know you have a master unlike any other who gave his life for you, who takes the form of what? A servant. So he's, you're, you're in a win, 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 right? The beautiful master that he is. And, and is he obviously he your savior? Is that, is that there? If that is, then we can go on. Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time with him? Part of your day. You take one step toward Jesus, he'll run to you. It's amazing how that happens. Just starting out. If you don't... In other words, if you don't read anything in your Bible, and you just, the first time downloading the Bible app, and you say, I'm going to read the verse of the day. I'm just going to start my day that way. Just something, one step towards Jesus. See what he does for it. If you're doing that, add another few minutes to reading. If you do that, read a passage. Pray over it. You know, those kind of things. Are you spending time with him? Take a walk with Jesus, if you will. Pray. Praise him. Who are we? Like, asking that question has been huge for me. What personality has he given me? Why would he give me that personality? What kind of gifts do I have? What are the skills that Jesus has given me to be a steward over? What are my passions? If you're asking the question, what's my mission beyond being with you, Jesus? If you want to accomplish something through me, what are my passions? What are my dreams? What do you want to do through and in me? And next, what has he given us to be stewards over? What can he use? The common and the uncommon. What, what can he do with your time? What can he do with your resources and your finances? If you started making or taking a posture of like, I'm a servant to this church, what would that look like? I want to I contribute. I want to be uh, not watching everything happen. I want to get involved, get my hands dirty, so to speak. So looking at, what does he give me stewards over? What does he give me uh, a stewardship over? And then another question, what season am I in? Are we in? What kind of availability do you have? You know, there are different seasons in life where you can't serve or you can serve in greater or lesser amounts, and that's okay. Jesus is the head over the body, and we work together in cooperation. So we're not going to have one part of the body do everything. 
we work together so we don't all have to do everything. Um, and then lastly, what are the needs around you you can fill? You, you may have a need right now in your life that can be filled by you. Maybe it's loving somebody in a practical way that you work with, you go to school with, or you work with. Um, maybe it's just something that you know that someone's hurting around you. You know, those are some of the considerations that I would just pose to us all as we're considering what is my mission in, uh, in the specifics. So a few minutes I have left before I have Emily come up. I just wanted to give you a little quick personal kind of uh, window into my last uh, summer, and that is sabbatical. I actually, for the first time in 25 years, was able to take a sabbatical for two months. So I, I spent my whole life, adult life, in this church, serving this church, and very thankful for that. And I always felt like sabbatical is something that people that were in a different church got to take. <laughs> That's for them. Um, but, but I was thankful, but I wish I could have, I, I, I wish I could say that I approached that sabbatical time with just this, like, oh, man, a year, and I'm going to have sabbatical, six months, uh, you know, five, and it was like, no. Uh, I came, instead of a, a liner coming down for um, arrival, uh, an airline, I was like that jet where the engine's on fire, and it's going, like, straight down, and the pilot's ejected in a parachute, and hopefully will land apart from the flames. I was burned out, you guys, to be honest with you. I was burned out. And I, and I think there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why that was, but a lot of it is, um, if you're anything like me, my wife calls it my cranks are turning, and I can't shut it off. You know, where you're thinking about stuff, and, and you can't separate yourself from what you're doing. Uh, maybe you have a job where you just come home, and you're laying awake at night, and you're like, I'm off my work. I, you know, I clocked out, and I'm still thinking about all that stuff. I've got to stop thinking about all this stuff. It's dominating me. I just had my cranks turn all the time, and it got progressively to the point where my wife's like, there's just, you just, there's something, we need to talk, and we need to get prayer. So anyways, come June, I was pretty much, I was down, and I know I knew it, and I had some burdens I was carrying that, that weren't supposed to be mine to carry. Those are, those would take too long to get into, but praise the Lord through the, through the cooperation of the leaders in the church, my fellow pastors and elders, and, uh, and their wives especially, they just prayed over me and had some real deep heart-to-heart talks, um, evaluating who am I, what's my value in the body, what, am I even supposed to be here? You know, those bigger questions, just because I had flatlined. I'd tried to do it all for so long and eventually got to the place where I was just out. And uh, the only thing I'd scheduled for the summer at that point, we had a trip to Brazil canceled, praise the Lord. My wife and I were going to go down there. It didn't tr- turn out we went down there at all. And that was before I knew I was on sabbatical, but... We had a, a week at Hume with some families up at Hume and had some good talks there and lots of prayer and then had great talks when I got back. And by the time I was about two weeks from coming back in September, I was raring to go. Like, I'm the new me, and I feel that way still, and I've just learned a few things. But I realized this cycle is actually exactly what I needed. So maybe you can glean from my experience of just kind of flatlining and getting resurrected. And that is that God gave me rest, that I actually had to stop the pace. I had to get out, I had to have the pace stop and, and the frenzied pace I was in and, and give me a chance to evaluate these kind of questions in my life. And, and I leaned into his presence in a greater measure. And that was huge. And to have time to do that. But also I realized this is a daily challenge for me. I've got to learn new systems. So when I'm not on sabbatical, I don't get this way again, right? So it's not just having an extended, oh, I can't take a sabbatical, James, good for you. I'm not, you know, I'm on this treadmill, it's not going to end. And I'm like, well, you've got to find it in the day-to-day one day to the next, and then, and then he revealed what transformation was necessary in my heart, and there was a lot of stuff that he wanted to do 
And I'm like, good Lord, I've been walking with you for 30 years, and I still have all this to go over and learn and change. He's like, I'm here through it all. We're going to do this one step at a time. And I, you know, like I said, conversations with people and prayer and just the support of my family. It was just amazing. So transformation did take place. And it completely clarified and changed my mission. So the benefit of all that time was that I, I was able to come back with a much more clear uh, idea of what God had created me to do and called me to do within the context of Calvary's Bluff. And I just thank God for that because it's completely, I mean, I was able to give off ministries and uh, just to give you an idea, and I'll give you this highlight for a purpose of illustration of how different it is now for me, is that um, back in June, I didn't even know sabbatical was in my immediate future at this point, but we were driving down, my wife and I, down to Southern California, and she's like, okay, give me what's on your brain right now. Just, I'm going to write notes. You just give, what are you thinking about? What's on your to-do list? What's on your heart? All that kind of stuff. What do you think you, you have to, to accomplish now? And, and then four hours later, we get to our destination, and I just finished up. And she was all, this is two, <laughs> this is two full-time jobs. That's what she told me. And I was like, the first time I kind of like, what? Like, and I'm not saying that's because, like, anybody drove me to that necessarily. It was, there was a whole bunch of combination of all this. But I will say that I, that I was like that. Like, huh, ah, I got it. I got, you know, fruit's fallen, so I got to catch it. And it's all my responsibility, no matter what the thing is to do in the church. And I just, I, I she goes, this is two full-time jobs. And I'm like, uh, that's probably not very good. <laughs> I can't do two. Some of you guys may feel like right now you have three full-time jobs. That pace is not meant for you. May I just say it clearly as I've just learned and gleaned that? You're, when you keep a hectic pace, you're going to have breakdown. It's just a given. That's not news to anybody, but I'll just tell you afresh. For me, guys, gals, if you're going, if you're burning the candle on both ends, you just got to gotta slow the pace. You got to let Jesus into that pace. You got to redirect some things and ask some critical questions on what, what am I doing and why am I doing it? So that was what dramatically changed my mission. So now, Gosh, and praise the Lord, we have some really amazing people that have joined the, the staff, in part because we all realized, wait a second, we've got we to gotta change the structure. So I'm just here today to say it's completely different. I'm able to focus on the most priority, uh, prioritized things I feel like the Lord has given me. So I'm thankful for all your guys' support. I'm thankful for everybody who jumped in to cover while it was gone. I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters that I have to, to go through this journey within this church. I am truly, truly different now than I was three months ago, and I'm almost, uh, I just entered my 49th year, so it's possible. As you get older, you, you to learn some new tricks. The result, renewal of joy and confidence in, in a new me. So thank you, guys, from the bottom of my heart. So mission to do, yeah, thank you. Um, so, ho so hopefully that blesses you, and you can apply some of those things to your own life that you're not called to do everything. So I just mission to do is pray for God to use you now and ask him to lead you. Uh, get input from those close to you, like, like I did with my wife. What do you see in me? Ask those questions. What gifts? What passions? You know, am I in the right place? What a critical question that is. Am, do I have the right schedule? You know, ask your loved ones. They'll tell you the truth. You need to, you need to do this, this, that, and the other. Um, maybe the best insight God could give you um, after praying. And then make the most of where you're planted at now. I just see that as your work environment, your school environment, your family. Certainly here, there's plenty of needs, but don't be need-based. Like, oh, there's a need, I'll go fill it. Like I did, oh, there's a need, I'll go fill that. And pretty soon you're like stretched so thin you don't do anything well. Um, I would just say pray like, Lord, in these environments that I'm in, in this place where no one else is going to fill my seat at this point, why do you have me here? What do you want to accomplish 
and what do you want to do now or implant to? And then lastly, please avoid overcommitment. Jesus says, come now to a deserted place, to a desolate place, and rest a while. Let me fill you up. Let's decrease the pace. I know you've been going hard, um, but it's time to just take a break. Let other people raise, be raised up as well. Amen. So um, Emily Neal is going to come forward. And I wanted to give a little bit of just a different picture of someone like her. Emily's a, a lecturer, a teacher at Cal Poly, and recently has just had the Lord kind of speaking to her on different things in her life. And I wanted her to share it because I think, again, the value here is gleaning from experience for the disciples. In this case, you, the disciple. So Emily Neal. Oh. I can speak loud, actually. That's okay. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's me. It's my family on the right. Uh, no, left. Sorry. Um, that's, that's who I am on a very 24-hour basis. Um, but also part-time, I do lecture at Cal Poly. So that's some of my students from a long time ago. I don't think any of them are in this room. Um, and I, I lecture in lower division courses, mostly lectures and labs in uh, cell and molecular biology and microbiology, which I don't really love to advertise, but that's what I do. You're, um, you're smart, is what you're saying. I don't. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, you're yeah. pretty smart. That's the reaction I'm afraid <laughs> of when I share those things. Um, but the reason why I'm, I'm up here, as uh, Pastor James said, is because I've been thinking through some things. And actually, I had a conversation with Pastor Brian a few weeks ago as we were talking about the beginning of the quarter, and I just kind of shared casually, oh, yeah, I, sh I shared something about my faith in the first day of my lecture, which, um, yeah, I guess has led to this point. But before I was asked to, to share with you guys, it started me thinking. That conversation with Pastor Brian got me thinking about how I got to the point where I actually feel confident enough and um, comfortable enough, I guess, to share something like that. And it was small, you guys. It wasn't something huge that I shared. It was just a small about me introduction at the very first day of class where I shared that um, I, I have a family and that I like to hike and go to the beach and that I also really enjoy being active in my church. That was, that was the only thing. It was very small. And I, looking back, I wish I had actually shared more, just a little tiny bit more. But um, the way that I got there has really been a very long process, as it usually is, and it's all been from the Lord in that work on me and in my heart. And it, it started about six years ago, this process, when I had my first baby, and all I really wanted to do was be home all the time, full-time with that baby. I had a vision of what my life should have looked like at that time, and that vision was that I should be home. But for lots of reasons, I was working. I was doing this job, and I really didn't want to be doing that job right then. And this discontentment went on for quite some time, about three or four years probably, where I felt really discontent about having to work. And um, it, I don't really remember the process, honestly. I just remember, though, that the Lord brought me to a point where I realized this is where I am, this is where he has me, and I need to be content. And he called me to contentment in my job. So that very small thing um, brought me to an acceptance of where he had me. Um, and in, in so doing an obedience, choosing joy and gratitude for something, even though I didn't necessarily feel that way, but to choose that attitude regardless. 
Well, that transformation of contentment um, brought about other changes. As you can imagine, such deep discontentment about something influenced other areas of my life too, and those started to change. But even more than that, it allowed the Lord to access other areas of my life regarding my job that he couldn't have used me in before. Or he could, he can do anything, but it's a lot. I made it a lot harder for him, right, a roadblock. I was trying to teach my son something yesterday. I thought of, of this analogy Something I knew he would really enjoy knowing about, but because of his attitude at the time, it made it very, he was kind of disobedient. He's kind of a know-it-all. Don't tell him I told you that. Um, he's only six, though. So um, because of his attitude, it made it very hard for him to hear what I was trying to tell him and to teach him. Um, and once we worked through that aspect of his attitude, then he could hear me and learn what I was trying to teach him. And so the same thing was true in me. I was that roadblock, making it very difficult for the Lord to teach me and use me in those other areas. So it brought me to a place where now I could ask these questions. Okay, I'm here. God has me here. I see that. This is my calling for whatever reason. What is that reason? Why does he have me here? God, how do you want to use me? And it's not like I woke up with all these, like, magical answers about my purpose and mission. I didn't have some sort of clear guidance, but it made me open, allowed me to be open, and it allowed me to say yes to things as they came up because I knew that I'm searching for something to do because I know that God has me here. So around that same time where I'm feeling more content about my job and working through those feelings, um, the leaders of the faculty crew ministry actually reached out to me which is kind of amazing, right? I didn't go searching for it. They reached out to me and then asked me to get involved in different ways. And so saying yes, getting into the habit of saying yes, as God has asked me or other people are asking me, um, has led me to some really cool opportunities like being able to be in fellowship with other Christian faculty on campus, being able to serve on Christian faculty panels, encouraging believers and believers in faith and science which has been really exciting for me in my own life as well. Um, but now fast forward a little bit more. I've had these kind of cool and exciting opportunities, but this summer I read through the New Testament. And what really struck me about that reading was the, the magnitude of the faith, trust, and even risks that people took in the early church. These are not new observations. I'm not profound. Um, but it made me, again, ask myself some questions like, what, where is my faith? Do I really have to lean into that? And am I, am I taking risks? Not stupid risks, but am I, am I being risky with my faith the way that Paul and the other apostles at that time were? And again, just by asking these questions, I didn't get any profound answers, but I'm thinking about these things. So now I'm prepping for a new quarter and a class and I get this thought, well, maybe I should share something about myself and about something real in a culture where we're all identifying, right, and thinking about our identity. Why can't I also be confident in my identity and be, be aware of my identity in Christ and share that? Mm. So that's all I did. And again, I didn't, like, say, hey, I'm a Christian and jump up and down. I just said that I went to church. But even a couple of students have shared that was really encouraging for them to hear I teach an introductory level course, so a lot of my students are freshmen. I was their very first professor, 7.30 a.m. on the very first day of school. Hearing some of that, and uh, just I'm hoping that it has made some, some impact. And I haven't worked it all out, right? <laughs> There's more to do, um, but this is just where God has led me at this point. So, yeah. thanks. Yeah.
Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So there's some good inherent motivation for all of us to ask those questions, yeah? Lord, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to serve? Where's my heart amiss? Where do I need to have some adjustment by you so that I'm even more equipped to, to ask, okay, well, if I'm going to give them something to eat, I'm going to need you with me in this. And how do you want to use me? So Lord willing, as we're a, a fellowship of believers here, that the, the different ways that God can use this group, this community of faith, to further his kingdom in the highways and byways of our county here that we love so much and we're thankful for, it's pretty exciting to think about. Just one little discussion with God and context of him changing a, a heart and prepping it for his use over and over and over again times however many people in our fellowship and other fellowships that are alongside this faith journey with us in our community it's pretty exciting isn't it god how do you want to reach people because your love is unrivaled your love is preeminent your love is worth everything that i have to give and more and for eternity, you will be worshipped as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I will have no end to my call to worship you and to draw close to my Father who died so I could do that. Who, who, who came and took the cross so that I could be in my quiet times for eternity with you as your number one calling in my life. And in the meantime, I want other people joining me on my right and my left. How about you? Yeah? And if you don't know Christ today, may I implore you, every ounce of being that I have, to say he is, you will never find anyone remotely as good as Jesus Christ. Even his enemies said he is without sin. And yet he laid down his life for us sinners, knowing that he was going to have works in progress, that he would save by his own blood. And so when we go, when we break, every Sunday we have communion available. It's, it's really to honor him in that way. We have the, the broken bread, we have the cup, of juice that signifies his blood. The broken wafer is the one uh, symbolizing his broken body on the cross that we would look back to say, Lord, if you've done this for me, what can I do for you? How can you use me in this world to bring broken people to my Savior? And so as we ask that question, as we partake of communion, I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to finish with one song and uh, celebrate together our shared faith and, and just pray afresh, if you will, with me as they come up. Why don't we all stand? That God, we would be used afresh in your power and in your ways.